This episode contains some racist discussion and otherwise uncomfortable topics. So uh, if you are going to continue to listen, just be warned that some things may be uh, bothersome. Not sure that it's enough for trigger warning, but enough for me to actually make the effort, and you will understand as you listen to this podcast, should you choose to do so, that it actually was an effort that I wasn't planning to make to go back and put this in at the beginning, just because uh, no one should have to experience a moment that's really uncomfortable when it's so easy to avoid is to go back and put a little cautionary tale um, at the beginning of the episode. So just a little notification that I do get into talking a bit about that kind of stuff and using some words in the example that are bad words. Well, their connotation, so bad. And since I've gone back and I'm doing this, I'm going to take the opportunity to do a little shout out to Paul. Uh, You've been absolutely steadfastly behind me and supportive of episodes and have waited all this time and I've taken your encouragement and you helped push me over the edge into getting this out into the great wide world. So Paul, thank you for being you. And now on with the show. Merry meet and welcome to episode 44 of Pennies in the Well. A couple of things of note. Yes, it's probably been several years since I have officially put out a podcast. Uh, It's been several years of incubation, which I'm going to talk about in a bit. And uh, it's episode 44 and you may be going, wait, that's not the next number in the list. And that's because this isn't the first time I've actually recorded a new episode. It's just the first time I've actually gotten through it all and posted it. Um, There are things that I've been thinking about doing that... I wasn't ready to do yet. So having talked about them in the podcast, well, since I wasn't ready to actually follow through on that, I couldn't exactly put the podcast out into the world now, could I? So there's a few things, um, like the reading of, uh, the wake world that I think are on those episodes. So you're just going to have to wait a little bit until that completes because of the circumstances under which we are exploring this um, podcast almost said new podcast because it almost feels new at this point. And there may be a makeover. I've contemplated it, Uh, but not yet. And not in this moment. And uh, clearly not quite ready, willing yet to put down the podcast, which is why it's still actually available online and why I never actually considered myself pod faded so much as uh, on hold, on sabbatical, and otherwise engaged in living in all aspects. So I hope you've been well in all of this time. Actually, I I hope that you have been uh, experiencing your life and attaining the useful nuggets out of the chaos. If you've been in chaos, enjoying the joy, if you've been flooded with that. Um, And otherwise, just 
living. I mean, in some ways, the greatest gift we can do for ourselves and each other is to go on living and to live well. I do consider it important to live well as much as we can. And for me, living well is being in right relationship with with ourselves, with our planet, with each other, with the entirety of the worlds around us. There have been so many changes for me over the last several years. I don't even know where to start, so I'm not going to. It's impossible. I'm just going to start talking about things in whatever format they start coming out because there reaches a point of either, well, the old jargon that I knew growing up was shit or get off the pot. And it still seems to be the way to phrase it, a nice, easy, convenient way to phrase it, and just shit or get off the pot. And today was, you know what? Time to shit, (laughs) which probably means that I guess this episode is shit. Well, didn't I just back myself into a descriptive corner that is less than flattering for me? Which, you know what, I'm going to take that, um, I was going to let that lead me into one of the things I wanted to talk about, but it's not the place where I want to start this episode. So we will circle back to the unknown item that I've just hinted at, titillated you with, as it will, uh, but not actually told you anything about what it is. Instead, I want to talk about incubation and... It'll tie into completion, it'll tie into the time of year, because today is November 4th of 2018, just past Samhain. I've just uh, injured myself again, so about seven years ago, herniated discs in my back uh, due to a couple of lifestyle ways of movement combined with lifting something that was very heavy. I learned from that experience mostly, but here's the thing. There's, as you know, if you've listened to my podcast, that I believe that there is a flow to the universe, that there is a, I don't want to say hidden intelligence because we apply intelligence in a very humanistic kind of way. We see intelligence as being humanly intelligent and I don't see it that way. What I do experience is that there is always these very interesting opportunities that the universe gifts us with to understand ourselves better and our world better. And there have been times or points in my life where I have truly felt set up by the universe to experience things. And part of it is because we are part of the ecosystem in which we live. We are uh, a cell within the body of the world and What we do changes the world around us, and as the world around us changes, we change. It is a reciprocal relationship that is always, always moving, flowing, changing, shifting, and impacting each other. So in some ways, we create our own lives um, because of who we are, because of our own patterns, our own emotional and physical and mental landscapes. We react in certain ways. Our reactions cause certain reactions into the universe, which uh, it's like dropping things into a still pond, what you drop will create ripples, but different types of ripples depending on what you drop, and those ripples come back to you. And 
There's a very interesting line here between we, we cause what happens in our world and, oh my God, shit happens. Apparently this is going to be the shit episode. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll talk about corn poo. It's a story from years ago in a Druidry 101 class. And well, well I, I, I like to think I've matured a little bit since then. The... This is not to say that um, we all the bad shit that happens in our life is our fault, or that all the good shit that happens in our life is our fault. There's still a whole heck of everybody else is also interacting with the world, and there's all kinds of waves, and the wave interactions are huge, and so there there isn't a blame in this, but it does acknowledge that, uh, for me, the first really obvious example was years ago. Years and years and years ago, I was on my fourth uh, descending in quality boyfriend in a period of time. And I was looking at who I'd been with. And if I took a step back and I assessed it realistically, they were similar type people. There were similar qualities. Let me put it that way within the person or the, the people I was dating. And that that quality, well, I was seeking out ever greater quantities of it. And thus, they, they were different people. They came into my life in, in somewhat different ways, but I couldn't help but go, you know what, if they've all got the similarity, I'm the, I'm the common denominator. So I must be putting something out into the universe that is encouraging this particular situation to keep cropping up. And once I accepted that, it was a, okay, it's cropping up because this is the path that subconsciously I'm choosing to go on and I can either learn, change, and become something a little different and thereby change what happens in the world around me or I can keep having the same situations crop up. That's the level of it that I'm talking about. So as time goes by, I pay attention to the universe a lot. And there have been these moments of nexus where I'm in a situation where I and anywhere from three to six other people in a naughty entanglement with a K, please note, not an AU, entanglement of circumstances where we're all faced with a lot of choices or maybe just one big choice that is defining not necessarily life-altering defining, but defining of, you know, the next stage or have I changed? Am I going to react the same way I always have? Uh, I've had a couple of these nexi, <laughs> what's the plural of nexus, over especially the last decade, I've really noticed them. And it's pretty powerful when you look at it and go, it didn't matter what decision I made or what decision this person made or, or what action that other person took. Each one of those, they mattered for us as individuals. They mattered in the interaction we were going to have. But no matter what action or choice any individual made, we were all going to be impacted and it was all going to further encourage our own becoming, as it were. So I look for these a lot. Uh, well, I try to. To say I do it a lot is probably a misnomer. There's been a lot of hiding <laughs> away the last couple of years. Uh, when you are dealing with your own shit, I mean, when I started dealing with my shit, it was low-hanging fruit. It was kind of easy. It probably didn't seem like it at the time, but 
man, I wish I was dealing with the issues I was dealing with 20 years ago. Those were clean and simple and shallow and shallowly rooted, as it were. But I've dealt with all those ones. You know what happens when you've dealt with all of the easier stuff? You're peeling an onion and you're getting down to deeper layers. Well, those layers are really deep and they really don't want to get dealt with. And they really try and hide. So it's an interesting experience to go deeper uh, and to look for those fewer and more farther between uh, things to deal with in your psyche, but oh my God, dealing with them, it's, it's no longer a, you know, oh, you can have one epiphany and it's dealt with, or you have this great life-changing experience and you actually, you know, stay altered from it. Uh, though that even at the beginning takes work because you have to really integrate things. If you don't integrate it, that big life-changing experience isn't actually going to change your life unless you embrace the changing of the life that it is offering you. Must embrace. Without embracing, no change. No change. Ah, life continues exactly as it's been. So, yeah, I've been, uh, I described it Um, It was actually last Yule that I went, you know what, for the past seven years, I've broken down every aspect of my life. It has gone um, through this uh, crucible of not even change so much as experience that took me down um, and took away illusions. It took away my sense of being capable of being able to achieve, getting to my fundamental fears. Um, it's It's been a hard road. Where was I headed with all this? Incubation. Um, and I do feel like there was something else going on in for those who haven't listened to me before, uh, and for those who have and haven't realized that this has changed, um, and the only way for me to get a podcast out at this point, because my life still is kind of stupid busy, is to record it and post it. There's no real editing. I don't go back and take out my ums. I may occasionally stop and go, oh my God, what the hell kind of train wreck was that rant about and delete the whole thing on the fly, but I don't go back and re-edit. And this episode, there's probably not going to be any funky intros. There's not going to be all the little pieces I used to do. I'm not there anymore. So when you take a whole bunch of years and some really deep life-altering experiences, you're not the same and to hold on to the same patterns is a denial of your new self uh, and a way of keeping you trying to keep you old in your old self in your old shell which is restrictive when you grow big enough um, kind of like a snake shedding its skin so seven years ago I hurt my back and a couple well let's see start of September um, I very end of August, very, very end. I had a soul retrieval done by a wonderful shaman. Um, if you haven't checked out why shamanism now dot, I I don't remember if it's com or org. Anyway, it's a podcast. Why shamanism now is about the only podcast I've listened to in years. And even that not necessarily a whole heck of a lot, but I did get really into it because there's a deep wisdom in what she is sharing. And it's from a different aspect than what I tend to look from. So I went exploring my, uh, the shamanic side of witchcraft by exploring shamanism, primarily from a core shamanism point of view. Uh, I didn't get into a particular, like I wasn't into Celtic shamanism or any particular 
uh, land, I guess, um, of shamanism. Yes, I said land, not brand. Because I was very interested in that aspect. There's aspects of shamanism in Wicca and witchcraft, and that is going to totally derail this conversation. So I'm going to put it aside. That'll be for a different moment. Anyhow, so I had a soul retrieval done. And if you don't know what a soul retrieval is, in essence, in short, and in my bastardized description of it, uh, as we go through life, we have experiences. If we experience something really traumatic uh, from a shamanic point of view, what there's a number of different things that can happen. It can um, be a part that retreats inside of us, but it can also be a part that just essentially breaks off and goes, fuck this, I'm out of here. If the trauma is big enough or it's consistent enough because a long-standing trauma like, that is repeated can also cause this. So anyhow, um, when stuff has going, gone through, parts of ourselves to protect us break off and go, oh, yeah, fuck it, I'm out of here. A soul retrieval is a shaman going into the other worlds and retrieving that piece that has buggered off, bringing it back to the self that is missing that part. And when you are missing a part, uh, you can imagine it's like missing a, a toe. You know, you can still walk, but it's going to change things. It's going to change how you walk because you're, you don't have all your parts there. So all of our parts have good and bad things associated with them. Um, often, well, good and bad being our way of saying, I like it, I don't like it, because uh, parts are really just parts. And some are, you know, more officially useful and some less obviously so, and some are healthily integrated and some are not. So many digressions. So I had a soul retrieval done. And I didn't know. <laughs> I was away for our amazing Pirates and Fairies weekend, which is a private event where it's a lot of pagans, but also non-pagans. And we basically take over this wooded site and go uh, crazy for a period of time uh, for a weekend dressing as Pirates and Fairies. And it was awesome. Uh, at one point, I was eating mushrooms, sitting on a mushroom stool inside of a pavilion that was made to look like a mushroom. Uh, I also at one point was dressed as a fairy that was inside of a T-Rex outfit um, that was dressed as a fairy with wings and a tutu. I was very Inception-like <laughs> on that weekend. So much fun. Anyhow, the retrieval happened the Friday of that weekend and I didn't know. And I get home from the weekend and you can imagine that there's a whole lot of exhaustion. So I had there is straight back into work, but I'm exhausted. I'm not checking email. I still don't know. I've had the retrieval. It was a long distance retrieval. Um, and then I get sick because that happens. I get, you know, nasty kind of flu thing and I am sick and I am sick. And about two weeks after the retrieval had happened is when I finally went and looked at email and went, holy shit, retrieval happened. And typically the first two weeks of retrieval is when you get that big bang for your buck of, oh my God, this part's been returned to you. You have all of these um, accessibility is really clear and obvious because it's sudden and it's new and you can feel it and interact and, and it's yummy and it's good. And I missed it completely because I was first um, in a fairyland and then I was very sick. Uh, so now I'm aware of it and going, but I have no resources to deal with it. But on the flip side, I was home a lot because I had to cancel everything. Uh, time off work, time off teaching, uh, time off of spiritual stuff because I was just sick. But I was sick and I didn't want to deal with it. 
on a very deep level. I didn't want to deal with it. So, uh, time goes on. I start to get better. I get a cold. I'm sick again. I actually never fully finish being sick. I just switched from being in the flu to being in a cold. And then, and now we're about three weeks into this. And then I get, start getting over the cold. I get the sick again. I got the flu again. Yeah. Yeah. I was sick for a month. So I had all this time, but no inclination and no desire to deal with it. Because once again, this was not low hanging fruit issues. This is deep core fundamental Oh dear goddess, what the hell? Ah, that stuff is scary. There's a reason why it's buried so deep because it feels like it threatens your core safety, your core sanity to face it and to deal with it. So I didn't. Um, I'll just be blunt and honest on that one. I didn't deal with it. So it's been four weeks and I've talked to the shaman finally and, you know, got some great, uh, insights. And I mean, to say I did absolutely nothing is a lie. There, there was some stuff, but it was not the intended, you know, go do your journeys, do this and that. But I was connecting with, and I was talking with these parts that were returned. Then came the day, a special day, a Costco day. If you don't have a Costco near you, well, it's a good place to buy things in bulk. And having hurt my back seven years ago, my rule of thumb is I'm not supposed to lift anything over 50 pounds. And I'm really good about following that rule. Then comes this day. I'm finally feeling better. Like finally, it's been four weeks. I'm finally getting over all of the illnesses, feeling kind of perky. I've done my big Costco shopping trip. I have like eight, two liters of milk and a couple of jar, big jars of beets and, you know, feta cheese and, you know, a couple other things. So all this stuff. And I'm getting it out of my car and where I live, I live in a condo or an apartment building and, uh, I'm two flights up a flight of stairs straight from the car, or I can walk the entire length of the building and take the elevator. So I never take the elevator. Why? It's just silly. Just take the stairs. It's good for me. So I usually just carry my groceries up the stairs. I pack it all into bags, put it on my shoulders, put it on my hands, carry it up. There I am, the trunk of my car and I'm gathering the bags and my brain's going, this is way too much weight. You're not doing it in one trip. You're, you're taking at least two trips. And some inner part of me goes, oh, no, 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 no. No, we're going to take it all in one trip. We can totally do this. We've been carrying like a fair amount of stuff lately. We've been feeling good. Carry it. Do it. Do it. Do it. And kind of like the inner voice that does the, no, no, let's totally eat the remainder of the chocolate cake in the fridge, even though we really have had more than enough sugar and it's not going to make us happy and blah, blah, blah. That voice, that driving voice that says, eat all the things, because I have some food issues, uh, same kind of voice. It was just this strong impulse and I did it and I grabbed all this stuff and I stood up and I felt, uh-oh, this is not good. So, of course, I carry all this stuff up the stairs anyways, because I'm too stupid to stop. Um... And all the time going, oh my God, did I just re-herniate the disc in my back? Did I just re-injure myself when I swore I never would over something so freaking stupid as carrying Costco groceries up from my car? It would have taken like what, an extra three minutes to do an extra trip? Like why? Why? (laughs) Let me tell you, I did injure. Uh, I spent 
Uh, it was about a week, week and a half before the symptoms were fully showing up. Um, not to the same extent because I was very aware of what I might have done. So I was being very careful and well-behaved and going to see healthcare professionals and doing what I could to, to kind of mitigate. But still, I spent most of the last three weeks um, lying flat on my back, watching Netflix, reading books, and getting a chance to really think about things. Because, 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 because. So when I look at it, when I think of that moment, there's a, on one hand, the God, why? And the answer is really clear. Because I wasn't dealing with my healing. I wasn't dealing with the integration. I was not facing what I needed to face. And my subconscious stepped right on in and went, okay, you're not going to take the time to deal with it. You're going to just constantly avoid it. We're going to give you nothing but opportunity to contemplate and integrate and work with those parts because really what else are you going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to read books and watch Netflix. (laughs) But that's not all I did. It's a really hard thing to accept that I did this damage to myself on a certain level because it's not a fun place to be. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, and I'm still not better. I'm sitting, 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 doing this recording and sitting makes me twitchy because it puts pressure in unpleasant places and I'm not hundred uh, percent. I'm probably not going to be hundred percent for six months. It'll probably be a year before I'll be able to do certain things, um, even vaguely safely. And everything that was before on the don't do list is still going to be on that don't do list. Uh, and that's going to have to get a little more stringent. In other words, I will have to live with what I did in that moment with a fair amount of self-awareness of what I was doing to myself in that moment for a very long time. And why did it happen? Because I really needed to do, in essence, an incubation, uh, to be with myself, to be with those new parts, to actually dare to go a little bit inside. And the outer world work and teaching and all of those fun things, they distract and make it very easy to stay away from what needed to get worked on. So I've worked on it. I can't say I worked on it perfectly. I can't say uh, that it all has gone swimmingly, but it did happen and it's not done yet. Uh, There's still a lot of healing. Uh, It's kind of weird for bringing back parts. Hey, welcome back pieces of me that haven't been around for a while. And by the way, we're going to be sick. Oh, and now we're going to be in pain and kind of broken and terrified. Uh And you probably left because we were terrified. So um, yeah, here we are kind of back in that same circumstance, but we're a lot older now and capable of dealing with this in a very different way. In order to face and deal with and integrate and change. Okay, so we don't just change. Change comes from inside or outside. And the outside change is when uh, the universe blows up in your face. Or in 
if you've watched Netflix and seen um, Designated Survivor, that was my obsession this last week. Uh, it's because somebody blows up the Capitol building and every other person pretty much in the government is gone. You're the sole survivor and now you're in charge. Well, or somebody hits a loved one with a car and they die. Or you win the lottery. Or, 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 or you find a abandoned kitten or puppy on your way home and take it in and your life has changed. Like there are external circumstances that change our lives. And there are internal changes. So in external things, they're, they're physical and they, they have happened to you and you just, you're going to react and you can decide how you're going to react or you can uh, simply react uh, in whatever way your subconscious is going to express it. Internal change though, that's not so easy. We have a lifetime of habits and patterns that we have built up. We didn't just get to where we are in, in this moment where you are listening to me and for me when I'm talking, uh, fresh and, you know, blank paper. We are not a piece of blank paper in this moment. None of us are, you know, a baby, even a baby as they're born, are they truly a blank piece of paper? No, they were in their mother's womb. They were experiencing what the mother experienced. You're a blank piece of paper at the moment of conception when Mr. Sperm meets Mrs. Egg and they combine. And from that moment forward, we are enacted upon by the environment as well as acting from inside. So you know, we're not blank pieces of paper. Uh, and the older we get, the less blank we are because we have so much weight of experience and decisions that we have made and judgments that are baked into us and come contextual, uh, definitions. Um, we have a way of seeing the world that we have built up both because our culture has encouraged it and because of our own life experiences. Changing that is really hard. Changing who we are in our emotional responses and our physiological responses and our um, psychological responses, very hard. It's not something that you just decide. It's like trying to, have you ever decided to change your posture, how you sit or how you stand? It is not something you just decide and that's that and it's done. No, 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 no. Changing your posture. Like if you like to cross your legs. So at one point, um, I've had a lot of hip issues and stuff over the years. I have a lot of physical issues and not compared to some people I know. Do not want to over speak my circumstances, but I've had enough. So at one point, um, I don't remember, was it a physiotherapist? Somebody did a, you know, you shouldn't cross your legs anymore. You know, that very ladylike uh, thing where you cross one knee over the other. You shouldn't do that anymore because it's causing you problems. Lots and lots of problems. So I stopped. Or I worked on stopping. I worked on stopping for about six months because it was an ingrained habit. You sit down, you cross your legs. Sit down, you cross your legs. If you are the type to cross your legs, try not doing it. <laughs> Notice how often you do it without thinking about it. Because we put so... In order to do what we do in life and to think about what we think about and to have time to think and to get all these things done and to make the actions we make, we do a lot of life on autopilot. 
once you've learned to drive, like learning to drive is a very intense experience because there's so much going on all at the same time and you have to pay attention to the road that you're on, the car that you're in, what's going on in the car that you're in, you know, the various instruments, how do you turn left, how do you use your indicators, oh my god, it's raining, how do I turn on the wipers? Uh, then there's all these other things outside of your car that you have to deal with, the other cars and the pedestrians and lights and you have to kind of learn it all in one go because you can't separate the pieces of the driving experience. Driving is driving. You have to deal with all of it all together. So when you first learn to drive, oh my God, it is total concentration all the time. There's a reason why uh, radios are generally off, I think, or at least when I was getting uh, classes in um, driving, no radio for the distraction. Well, as time goes along and you get a lot of practice, a bunch of that uh, concentration is not needed anymore because we have habitualized a lot of the actions. Our bodies know what to do. They just go ahead and do it. And we're reacting on a subconscious kind of autopilot way. Well, we do that throughout life. We do it all the time. And it takes a lot of work to change those habitualized responses, they serve us. They serve us really well. It's like, oh, well, you did an action. It worked out for you. So you did it again. It worked out for you again. You keep working, doing it. And before you know it, you're not thinking about it. It's just your standard response to something. Unfortunately, circumstances change, environments change. Uh, and our response, either in an individual circumstance, which is appears to be like um previous examples of that type of circumstance where we gave our response and it was the right response, but in this case, we didn't realize the circumstances were different, so we gave the same response and it was wrong. That happens. Um, or the... Oh, lost my train of thought. Sorry. Very sorry. So I'm going to have to stop there for a moment because uh, on that rant, you can see where it was going. Hopefully your brain will take it there. Uh, I'm doing this without a script today because like I said, it would shit or get off the pot. And I still really want to talk about incubation. And incubation is about making that change. How do we get there? Well, sometimes you just have to request of the universe and then let it come to you, sit and incubate. So think of incubation with little baby chicks and the eggs are, what is it called? Oh, they, they're laid. <laughs> what do we call it when we lay eggs? Okay. So eggs are laid and then they sit under mama, mama, mama hen and mama hen keeps them warm and they're incubated. So they're going through a change of life experience. They're going from a yolk and they're becoming into a chick inside of their little enclosed environment. And it seems very quiet from the outside. An egg is very quiet. Egg isn't doing a whole heck of a lot. Right up until the very end where it starts like, oh my God, I'm done. I'm done cooking. It's time to crack out of this egg, get myself free. Woot woot. Until then, an egg is just mostly sitting. And then maybe a bit of rocking. So incubation um, is like that. It is this process wherein everything goes very quiet on the outside and we become focused internally and the work that's going on inside of our uh, shell is 
a lot, but subtle. And from the outside, it may appear that nothing at all is happening. If there is a, have you heard of it? Sclepius. Oh my God. Is the name is uh, impossible for me to say. Greek, um, Greek hero of healing. I believe. I don't think he was a God. I believe it was a hero of healing. Asclepius. And there were temples for him and you would go to the temple of Asclepius and you would speak, um, your question, your looking for healing, typically healing focused question. And you would sleep in the temple overnight. And the dreams that came to you would be the answer to your question that would guide you in your way of healing. It was called incubation because again, you have, uh, started something you have created the potentiality for change, let's say, by asking the question. And then you remove yourself from the world because the world is very distracting and the world will keep you busy and that answer will never come to you. Or if it does, it won't get into your consciousness. It won't get past all the, the other defenses that we keep up. So we retreat from the world and we go into sacred space and listen for the answer. Pay attention for the answer. There's a lot of listening. And that's very important to listen, to be on that other side, to go, hey, it's not just about what I want and sending that out into the world. It's what is the world sending back to me? What am I calling to me? What does the world need of me? That which goes to service, which we're not going to talk about today. And we incubate. And we have to wait when we incubate. Because that chick isn't ready to come out until the chick is ready to come out. It's kind of like gestation, but it's, well, at the same time, not. (laughs) And that's a lot of what I feel like I've been doing for years now. Uh, Never all or rarely all at once because there's still, you know, have to make a living have to make enough money to buy food, have a roof over my head. Uh, my coven, of course, there's keeping going with them, being part of their world, them part of mine. Um, but aside from kind of keeping the necessities of life going, I've been quiet. My world has been incubation style for years, it seems like. Uh, as I have retreated from the world and then listened, listened to the universe and listened to my inner self and let that listening, not just listen, but then you have to take it and again, make it part of you because until we integrate. So after incubation, we got to integrate and I will probably end up talking about integration a lot. If I, one hopes, keep going with these podcasts again, because if we do not integrate, what has happened, if we do not reflect on the lessons learned, if we do not learn our lessons and allow them to change us, if we are never changed by what we are doing, consciously changing by our conscious magic, then, then we will not become more than we are except through the most random of circumstances. I'm a witch. I choose my life. I choose to change and become. And sometimes that becoming fucking terrifies me. Uh, 
and I don't want it and I want to hide away from it. I am not ready for the challenges. I'm not ready for the service. I am not ready to be what it feels like the universe is asking me to be. But at the same time, I'm still a witch. So I will eventually, after I cause myself rather extreme injury, pay attention and listen here and choose my next actions based on that listening and that hearing and make those actions different than they were before. And this is not a one-time thing, as I said. This is kind of a constant vigilance. Once you've noticed that you cross your legs and you're trying not to cross them anymore, it's constant vigilance for a really long time until you finally integrate that new pattern. And then, you know, there's this whole, it takes eight weeks to make a new habit. Totally depends on what the habit is. Some things are so easy. It's like part of you has just been waiting for it. It's like, woo, this is awesome. And you just embrace it. And then some things, oh my God, eight weeks is not nearly enough because it's not an easy change. And those hard changes, (sighs) vigilance for a really long time. Do you really want it? And unless and until we change the underlying cause of the action that results in that behavior, we are always just dealing with a symptom. Now, those instead of the actual core um, reason for a thing. Now, working on symptoms can be great because it can actually lead us back to the reason. A lot of times we can't get straight to the reason that we are behaving a certain way. It is too deep in the onion and we have to peel off layers first. So embrace peeling off the layers. It doesn't matter how big or how deep the thing is. The process remains the same is to identify that there is something that needs to change and then to kind of sit with it and, well, discover it, explore it, reflect on it, and then you become. Because if you do not go through those stages, you have to uh, identify it because if you don't know it's there, you can't change anything. You have to explore it because you need to understand it. Just knowing it's there is not enough. It isn't. It's like, okay, There is a, um, I know that I crossed my legs and I need to not do that. Okay. When do I do it? Do I do it all the time? Is it in all chairs or is it in circumstances? Are there times when I don't do it? Why do I not do it in those times? What makes it easier to not do it? Hey, when I try and change it, what do I feel like when I try and change it? What is the, is there a physical impulse? Can I feel that physical impulse that leads me to crossing my legs? When does it happen? Is it as soon as I sit down? Is there a tightness that I'm trying to avoid? Is there something that makes it feel easier to sit this way? Is it, is there emotional response? Does this go back to when I was, you know, a young girl and was told that, you know, good girls never sit with their legs apart. Uh, There was this thing that we would do um, with our fingers, our middle finger and our pointer finger, uh, and the rest of the fingers are closed in. And you can't see this, but I'm going to describe it because I am. So first action is the fingers together. Second action is the two fingers spread apart into a V. Then you fold your pointer finger down and you're left with your middle finger sticking out. 
Um, and then you snap your fingers. And it was a little phrase that was, some girls sit like this, legs together. Some girls sit like this, legs apart. But the girls who sit, um, some girls sit like this. Oh, no, sorry. The second one is crossed fingers. So some girls sit like this, legs and fingers fingers together. Some girls sit like this, legs crossed over each other. But the girls who sit like this with their legs apart do this fucking like that. So it was a, a very clear statement that one never sat with one's legs apart. And that was deeply ingrained from when I was a child because, well, we patterned pretty easily when we were a child because we don't have a lot of patterns. We're trying to figure out how to act in the world and we're learning how to act in the world from the people around us. Fast forward to now-ish. And there is this whole process that I had to go through of not crossing the legs. Well, it's uh, not something I even think about anymore. I don't cross my legs ever with the back issues I've had. There's really no temptation, but there's no physical temptation. In fact, it's actually hard for me to sit with my legs together because physiologically, it feels so much better to sit with your legs apart. The legs actually sit into the pelvis better and allows a better placement um, of the pelvis into a more neutral position when you're sitting, if your legs are apart, as soon as you bring your legs together, it tends to want to, I think the word's nutate, um, but shift your pelvis and your sacrum into a, a more tucked under position. And it's just not nearly as comfortable. So uh, that whole, you know, how you sit thing is totally out the window for me. But now that I do that, there there's no temptation. So there's was both a kind of psychological, cultural conditioning component beneath it, but also a physiological one. And I like to think I've poked holes in both. And now I, t I will cross my feet at my ankles a fair amount of the time, but that is about it. Well, the same goes for us on spiritual level. You need to identify uh, what is going on and then explore it. What is all the ramifications of it? So uh, I had a soul retrieval. So there, there's the, I, I knew that there was issues and that a soul retrieval would likely help with it. So the soul retrieval happens. And then I was really avoiding the exploration and then the reflection. So uh, I'm still mostly through, I would say what I would say, the exploration phase Um the aspects of these parts, what, what left with them, what came back with them, what does it feel like to have them here, um, to get into relationship with them again. And then reflecting. Now I'm heading into the reflecting stage of, so what does that feel like? What's, what's now shifted? So not exploring our differences, perhaps reflecting on our our parts together. And as I go through that, and the more that I, re I reflect into it, that reflecting on it, uh, contemplating, um, resting into, I guess you could say a lot of the last little bit has been resting into and allowing it to become by embracing rather than running away. You I was going to say you can't become by running away. Well, you can, but then you're embracing the running away as opposed we become what we embrace. Um, mind you, there's sometimes it's really important to run away because it keeps you alive for another day and that rhymed and that's probably an indication I should move on. So incubation uh, is a lot of what I've been doing for the last while and something that is really important and especially even just reflection. Reflection is so critical 
what did we, so we learn a thing, we explore a topic, uh, learn all about, um, pick a topic really, uh, circle casting, going to learn all about circle casting and exploring all the various and different and assorted ways. Well, then you need to kind of reflect on, well, what are those different ways doing? I know what they can do, but what purpose do they serve? So the exploration is very, um, discovering aspect of it. The reflection is a process, like I said, of integration where you're learning what it means. It goes much deeper. Uh, what is it, the relationship then with yourself and circle casting? How does it change for you? When you do these very different styles, do they, how do they interact? Um, what, what is best used in which circumstances, things like that. A lot of this also comes down to a need, a desperate need to actually feel our feelings, to not punt them off to the side, uh, to actually ride our feelings and not to, it's not a run amok kind of thing. I'm going to talk about feelings. I think a different day. Um, just going to say now for now that it is important to feel feelings that if we do not feel the feelings, then we're missing out a whole necessary segment of integration and reflection. And we will never get to where we want to go because we're only really working on changing a few levels of ourself as opposed to the wholeness of ourself. That I think I'm going to let lead me into that other topic I alluded to and have almost slid into on a couple of occasions through this uh, rambly rant. That topic is, uh, kind of want to call it the hard truths, um, being very honest. So feeling feelings and doing all of these processes require a courage of honesty to be, and, and at the same time, a gentleness of acceptance. I, I'm not sure the right words to use for it. What I'm trying to get at is when you get into this scary hard truth that they're hard. It's called hard truth for a reason. These are not comfortable things. These are not easy places. And we do our damnedest as a human species to avoid these places uh, on average. We need to be loving to ourselves and to others about going into them. You can't just decide, trust me, uh, to face all of your demons and it's all going to happen in a short order, and it's going to be easy, and it's going to be good for you. No, 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 no. Even if you decide to face your demons, uh, your psyche is so good at keeping you safe that um, it's going to stop you from probably getting into those furthest places until you're ready. And maybe you were born ready, in which case, woo, lucky you. Uh, but most of us aren't. And I've been the leaper. That is my nature. Is I am an experiential witch. I've done, you know, a good amount of research, uh, especially in the earlier years, and study. And I've studied a whole variety of different things. And when it comes right down to it, though, I'm an experiential witch. I like getting my hands dirty, both metaphysically and physically, and experiencing, exploring through doing is my favorite way to go. I tend to leap. I. I also tend to be terrified, but I will leap anyways because the opportunity is here. And if I don't take it, well, that opportunity is gone. 
It's kind of my living life to the fullest, even though I will say no to a whole host of things. There's only a few things I actually always leap for, but it always seems to be the metaphysical personal challenges I leap for. Go figure. Anyhow, as a leaper, I can tell you that you can leap, but you will still not be able to get to the full depths of where you think it can go until and unless you are ready to get there. And the only way to get there is by going through cycle after cycle of processing, of being able to handle your physiological and emotional responses and not in a shove it away, put it in a box, put it on a shelf, never deal with it. I mean, actually process. And I've learned some really awesome ways of actually processing uh, over the last couple of years. And there's nothing easy or pleasant about it. That is the truth. This is not the path of easy and pleasant. (laughs) I usually sign off with blessings of the deep and wild. I don't sign off with the blessings of easy and pleasant. That is not this path. If that is the path you want, this is not the podcast to listen to uh, unless you want signposts of what not to do. Um, Don't don't leap. Um, Don't face things, all that kind of stuff. Basically do the opposite of what I was saying. And who knows, you could have a beautifully, pleasantly denied life. I'm reminded of the movie Pleasantville of a sudden. Yes, it's very pleasant, but it has no color. I am all for the color, which means that sometimes life really sucks and it's really painful and it's hard to deal with. And retreat is an option. It is always an option because it's bullying through, forcing your way through. It doesn't mean that you're going to get the result you're looking for. Barreling through, I think is the word I was looking for. So you can barrel through an issue and go, see, see, I saw all the things, I faced all the things, I've dealt with it. And it's like, nope, nope. If you can't sit down and have a so-called conversation with that part of yourself uh, and handle the emotions as they arise and deal with them and feel them, you haven't processed. Shoved away is not processed. Sad truth. There are a lot of hard things in this world. And there's a lot of shit going on in this world right now. Nasty, nasty, nasty shit. Uh, Right now, I can't even remember his name. I'm kind of happy about that. You know, the orange president of the United States is in power. And we are seeing uh, what I've always considered the advantageous part of his rise to power is that it has brought the seedy underbelly of human nature up to the top. It really has. I mean, racism, you know, you, now you can. If you feel racist, you can express it and you can feel that it's fair to express it because you are seeing somebody in the highest authority of the planet basically expressing it and it's okay. So therefore it's okay for you to express it. It means that we are no longer having our shit hidden coming out to the surface. And that is pretty much the biggest gift that he is giving us. Uh, and that the current world is giving us is that the shit is on the table. Can't face, deal with, clean up, or otherwise confront that which is not out in the open. So we have had one of the greatest gifts in that shit is out in the open. 
but oh my God, there's a lot of shit. And it's really hard because as an individual uh, and humanity is all about, well, made up of individuals, we don't want to be the bad person. I don't want to be a bad person. I want to be a good person. I I don't want to be making other people feel bad. I mean, I know there are people who don't give a shit about stuff like that, but I do. Uh, So I don't want to see myself as racist or sexist or a homophobe or ableist or uh, ageist or any of the ists of the world. I don't. It doesn't mean that I don't have those reactions inside of me. I am 47 years old. Yeah. Almost 50 people, almost 50. And the world I grew up in, my parents, uh, I remember my dad, we talk about, I'm pretty sure they were Brazil nuts, but Brazil nuts were not Brazil nuts when I was growing up. Brazil nuts were nigger toes. I totally should have put a warning about uh, offensive content on this. I will try and remember to do that in the written notes. And I don't, I don't say it is a good thing now. It's not a good thing. But when I was growing up, that just was. And really horrible racist jokes. Um, you know, it wasn't something where my parents would have said that they were racist. They wouldn't have believed themselves racist. I've known a lot of friends over the years who wouldn't consider themselves racist. Probably, And I know people who would not think that I am racist, but I do have, this is the hard truth part, I do have racist reactions because I am not a blank slate. I am not a fresh piece of paper. I am a piece of paper that's been through 47 years of experiences that was shaped and folded by my family and my society when I was a child and through my experiences growing up and my own and by the media. Don't forget that media, how it shines into us and and creates shadows in particular ways. And just the expectations, the culture I grew up in has it. And I don't say had, has, has. I'm in Canada and my neighborhood has a bunch of black folk in it, um, a lot of, some Chinese, um, in my like literally immediate neighborhood is, um, yeah, a fair amount of black people. If I was to think about what races I encounter, but also a lot of, um, I'm guessing Mexican because there's a lot of Spanish that I hear walking around. And I have reactions to like a physiological reaction. This is not necessarily cognitive reaction, but a physiological reaction to hearing other languages than English. And there's that phrase right now as I was growing up, it was, well, you're in Canada. Why aren't you speaking English or French? Right. Those are the two accepted languages. So if you're in Canada, why aren't you speaking our language? Why? And there's moments where I see, um, oh, I'll, I'll also judge based on size. I don't remember what the word is, you know, someone in the grocery store. So someone who's overweight at, and they're putting, you know, a sweet on the, a, a chocolate bar or whatever onto the conveyor belt to buy the food. And there's an automatic internal response of judgment that go, that 
kind of wants to cry out, oh, see, that's why you're fat. Now understand, I do this to myself um, as well. I, my judgment to myself is huge. But it's, it's so frustrating that these are there and, and it's not something that I can get rid of by pretending it doesn't happen. That's really what I'm trying to say. I was taught to be casually racist growing up. Not that we were racist, you know, we have no issues with, with other races. No, no, no. But it was okay to make jokes about black people being slaves. And it's okay to mock um, Newfies, uh, Newfoundlanders, because in Canada, you know, the, it, it was basically jokes um, about intelligence. They were stupid. Um, Polish jokes when I was growing up. Um, all these different groups that were belittled and mocked that it was acceptable to do that because they were different in whichever way, shape or form. Uh, there are a number of things. If you go looking on online, you know, phrases used in the office that you never knew, realized were racist. I've clicked on those. Yeah. There are some of those I had no idea that they were racist. Uh, in a coon's age was a phrase I grew up with. Wow, that hasn't happened in a coon's age. Well, it wasn't a raccoon's age. It was a reference to black people and that they were long-lived, is my understanding. So, um, and the phrase Indian giver, because uh, give to an Indian and then they would take it back. These are really deeply prejudicial phrases that attack people who are different. And their resonance, their legacy is still in me. I still will be walking down the street um, and I am more likely to have a reaction to... Um, a couple of, I don't know, black kids, like black, black male teenagers hanging out versus black white or sorry, white teenagers hanging out. I will have a stronger response based on skin color as to whether or not I feel like I should be worried. And there is no logical reason for that. None. There's no evidence for it. There's no, you know, personal experience behind it. In fact, personal experience would probably go the other direction. It's just been baked into me from such an early age. And the reason I am talking about it is because if I will not admit to myself and to the world that I have these reactions, how the fuck am I ever going to change them? How? If I do not think that I have these racist reactions, then how will I ever get them to go out from being trapped inside of me? How will I know that I am making choices that involve other people that are truly fair to them if I react to race or gender or, 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 or um, because of beliefs that I hold that my brain knows are erroneous, but my psyche is going, no, 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Judgment. Judgment is really useful when it is 
used in the moment to evaluate a situation and make a decision. We make judgments all the time, but when judgments become habitualized and the reasons for their, their patterning are not examined and those reasons for the patterning are based on these old habits of prejudice, we're fucked. Judgment needs to be a living thing. Otherwise, it's um, simply another patterned reaction that we have no control over that doesn't serve us. So judgment used in a true, like making a judgment way, I think is good. Judgments that fall out of us because they're habitualized, I think are really bad or hold the potentiality for really bad. And as I said, until and unless we can actually admit that we have these reactions, we have a problem that isn't going to go away. And I'm pretty, uh, pretty good about catching myself. Uh, I am not perfect. I will say wrong words. I will react as a white Mm, I was going to say cisgendered. Most I'm pretty, I'm queer, but I present cisgendered. So I'm not, uh, bothered by the world around me for that one. Um, you know, I've got some good intelligence going on for me. I've got a bunch of advantages and it gives me privilege and I haven't had to face things the way that some of my best people have where they have been judged for race, for size, for gender, for orientation, for capability, for age. Um, we, we make those judgments all the time. I hope you get my point. And if we cannot acknowledge that we do these things, how can we ever actually change them? Because first we have to breathe. <laughs> I have four words tattooed on my wrists. The first one is breathe. Because first we just have to breathe. We, we have to be present. We, we have to show up. We have to be present. We have to breathe. And when, when we breathe, that's when we become aware. So breathe, then explore. And reflect. And then become. These are the four words tattooed on my wrists. Reminders daily, constant, you know, if my hands are waving in front of my face, they're literally waving in front of my eyes, reminders of the process that is necessary. So we need to, to breathe and to be able to explore where we fail. It's great that there are places where I succeed. I am very happy about that. Um, but that and it's important to explore where you succeed and reflect on it so that you can have greater success. But it's equally important to do that with the places where we fail because our greatest opportunities for change and becoming and truly altering ourselves and the course of the planet is in facing our failures. And we got a whole lot of failure in front of us these days. So I admit that uh, I have racist moments and that I have sexist moments. I don't think quite as many on that one. Um, I'm working on it. 
I'm working on my moments. I'm working on my ableist moments. And I'm, the older I get, my ageism, I think, is totally shifting because I'm getting old too. Uh, but even at that, ageism can go the other way where I have made uh, unintentionally someone who's uh, in their 20s feel dismissed um, and just uncomfortable because of, I was focusing on how old I was feeling, but it came across as a, you're too young. You don't get it. You don't understand you're too young. On the flip side, there's the general shift, a generational shift as well, because never having, she never heard the sound of a modem connecting, um, online, that horrible screechy sound. And there are differences. We have to be able to accept that we're different without that difference being something that actually tears us apart, those differences should make us greater because they cover experiences and viewpoints that are different. I can no longer see the world in the view of a 20 something or other, not, not, I can, I can approach it. I can kind of guess at it. I have some memories, but I no longer live in that state. I have, moved into my 40s and I have a different view on the world because I've been through 47 years on the planet. It's different. In some ways it's better, in some ways it's worse. And there is with everything, there's always pluses and minuses. It's how you use it that matters. And that goes for being 20 something. How you use it matters. Um, anyhow, so that's my hard truth for today is that I have moments when I habitually judge, the bad judge people based upon things which they have no control over and that that is not fair. And I am, will pledge to be honest as much as I can and to catch myself in it and to try and reflect and to make new changes and do decisions. And it does make a difference because I am aware now and I see it and I see more of it when it happens. And I listen when people of color speak because their experiences are not mine and they have, they are the ones who can speak to their experience. I can't speak to their experience. I'm not living it. I don't know. It's like a man can't speak to my experience as a woman because he doesn't know. He doesn't live it and we cannot speak to other people's experiences. Anyhow, slightly derailed there. Just, I think it's the only, well, maybe not the only way, but a really effective way to go forward requires us to take the brave, brave action of seeing our own failures and admitting them as such and going, I'm not perfect. I'm really not really, really not. And it's okay because I'm trying to get better. And with that, let me have a look at the time. Uh, -oh. uh mutter, mutter, mutter. She says, yes, yes. Mutter, mutter. Oh my God. I've been at this babbling for over an hour. So I'm going to leave it at this. Um, I hope you have enjoyed this odd rambling trek through 
incubation and hard truths. And I look forward to babbling with you some more in the future at some point. Who knows when? Could be a week, could be a year. We never know, do we? A blessed Samhain and shift beginning of winter for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere uh, and summer for those in the Southern Hemisphere. Blessings of the deep and wild to one and to all. Blessed be.